Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an episode of the CareerCast. I'm joined today by Ertai and Rebecca, and they are from the Blind Institute of Technology. Um, thank you guys for joining the show today. So right off BIT's website, BIT Salesforce Services provides the talent and expertise needed to solve your Salesforce needs at an affordable price. So we're just going to start with BIT, what what it is, um, and then how that relates to Salesforce. So I'll open it up to the floor. Uh, this is actually the first one that I've done with multiple guests, so this is really cool for me. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to open up the questions, and whoever wants it can take it. <laughs> yeah. So um, BIT is a nonprofit organization that is aimed at tackling unemployment and underemployment in the people's with, people with disabilities community. Um, you know, we particularly started with blind and visually impaired, but have also expanded to. Uh, serving other populations of people with disabilities. And um, because Salesforce is a platform that has a lot of built-in accessibility to it, that's kind of a priority of theirs. Um, one of our major programs is the Salesforce Academy that trains up uh, admins who are people with disabilities and gets them certified. And then Airtai and I are involved with the apprenticeship program, which is an officially uh, federally recognized apprenticeship program here in the United States. And uh, it basically is an opportunity for us to get our academy graduates some hands-on Salesforce experience for real clients. So we basically do consulting work mostly for other nonprofits, um, just like regular project work and managed services and that sort of thing. And uh, so internal employees like Airtai and I act as project leads and we have apprentices get actual work experience for those clients. How does um, uh, marketing wise, how, how does, um, how would somebody find, find you guys to use your services or to leverage uh, BIT? That, that's actually a very good question because we are currently, um, I was just looking at an email from uh, James, one of our employees who is uh, currently refactoring uh, our website uh, because primarily we've been mostly advertising uh, the fact that uh, we find the talent. So we find people from the disabled community to find them, place them in meaningful tech jobs. but. In the past couple of years, our Salesforce end of things like the Salesforce client services has uh, blown up <laughs> quite a bit. And currently, at least today, when we are recording, the website does not really reflect that part of it. So we are um, uh, going to highlight that part of the organization a bit more. Uh, we are quite active on LinkedIn as an organization, and I believe we are also available on Facebook and Twitter. And with everything that's happening with Twitter and, uh, you know, them firing the accessibility team as soon as uh, Mr. Musk took over, we've been uh, trying to see where that will go. And uh, I know... Uh, Christy Smith, one uh, of our co-workers, has already started using Mastodon and we're trying to see if we can get there. 
but yeah, like those those are the channels basically where we are active. Um, it's interesting about Elon. I didn't know he. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, were fired. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, but I didn't know that about the accessibility team. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a priority for him. Um, but also, hopefully, by the time this goes up, um, the overhaul to our website will be completed. And so there will be um, a much easier channel to just search for Blind Institute of Technology on Google and, uh, you know, have it come up with information about how to contact us. No, I hope so. Um... Now I want to focus on you guys. So how did you guys find out about Salesforce? How did you get into the, I don't want to call it like, I hate using the word space or industry. I don't, it's just, it is what it is. It's like, so how did you get into Yeah, ecosystems, another uh, a word you could plug in there. So how'd you guys um, find Salesforce? So I guess if we take it in chronological order, um, so I became involved as a candidate of BIT originally. So, you know, I was looking for work as, uh, as a blind person and uh, was using BIT's services. And they, you know, kind of put out an email about the Salesforce class that they were having. At the time, it was the second ever BIT Academy class. And it was actually before our organization became an official uh, training partner with Salesforce. And so it was kind of a, a prototype version of the academy course that we now run. And uh, so I have always been interested in technology. So I signed up for that course and went through it and really enjoyed it. And so I ended up getting certified. Um, I found out only comparatively recently that I was apparently the first um, screen reader user uh, to come out of one of those courses and actually get certified. So um, I guess that must have impressed them because as they were starting to build their, um, you know, Salesforce consulting business so that we could start the apprenticeship program, they uh, were interested in bringing me on full time uh, as part of that program. Yeah, well, Rebecca fails also to mention one interesting bit about her. Uh, she said that she is interested in tech, uh, but her original background is in Japanese That's language, true. Uh, <laughs> which was very um, interesting to me when I found out because I started uh, at BIT as uh, one of Rebecca's first interns. So at that time, we didn't have the apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. uh, I first started as an intern. You were one of the and first two. For the first, like... Yeah, for the for the first uh, few months, I thought that she had a computer science or engineering or even programming background, uh, you know, just by working with her and it just came out uh, one day in a conversation, oh, yeah, uh, I speak Japanese, so how do you do that? Well, I'm, my major was in Japanese. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I would have never guessed that. Uh, so, yeah, that's one interesting bit about her. Um, so before I became an intern, how did I find out about BIT? So uh, this was when, so the first year of the pandemic, uh, I believe sometime in August or September of 2020, everyone's under lockdown. And I saw a post on Reddit, uh, the slash r slash blind uh, subreddit, 
that BIT is having a new Salesforce uh, admin course to get you uh, ready to sit in for the admin cert. And I had heard about Salesforce before, but never um, looked into it. Um, so uh, I knew it was something like tech related and like my background is in computer uh, science and engineering, so software development. Uh, and uh, I did finish my university while I was still sighted. So uh, I'm currently blind. I just have uh, some light uh, perception. So I can just tell where the windows are or, you know, if I enter a dark uh, room where there's no lightning or, you know, if it's the direct lightning, I can tell <laughs> where the light source is coming from, but I can't see any details. Um, and I'm a full-time screen reader user. So... Uh, at that time, I was uh, getting uh, ready to come back and start looking for a job because I had to stop uh, doing what I was doing. I was a mobile developer before, like freelancing, uh, until I could get used to using the computer with a screen reader. So um, I had spent about a couple of years back then uh, to adjust myself, you know, to uh use a computer with a screen reader and here where i live i'm in north macedonia so i'm not in the us like rebecca is and the only uh international employee so far uh at bit uh i practically had to teach myself how to use uh the screen reader so i did find that post on reddit i applied to the course uh initially i believe i had to go through the candidate process um, so basically I was interviewed and once they saw that I, you know, satisfy the requirements, uh, that, uh, we have, I was accepted and shortly after the course ended, I was, uh, one of the first interns, um, uh, to be accepted at BIT and, you know, we started working on client projects with, uh, Rebecca shortly after that got my admin cert thanks to the experience I got in like, I believe uh, three months after I started the internship, that was like super useful, uh, you know, to have that, uh, real life experience before sitting, uh, for the exam. Um, uh, and yeah, there, <laughs> there is this history. Yeah. We pretty immediately honed in on Airtie as someone we wanted to bring on full time. <laughs> Can you guys, I guess, walk me not being familiar with screen readers as a user, can you got, would you guys share like what that is like? Um, so a screen reader is basically a piece of software that you run on your computer or other type of device that um, interprets the coding on the back end for web pages, for example, that would usually be the HTML and uh, basically outputs um, speech. Usually, uh, people who use screen readers have trained themselves to be able to listen to this speech uh, at much higher speeds than normal talking speech uh, so that you can use the computer a bit more efficiently that way. And so the screen reader basically reads us everything we need to know in order to interact with the computer. And then, uh, you know, we do our input primarily through the keyboard um, even if we have to do something with the mouse, it's generally sort of like simulated mouse stuff using keyboard commands instead of actually trying to make a mouse work as a blind person. That generally doesn't tend to work out well. 
does that rely on the developer or is that like screen reader technology? So I imagine like as you're tabbing through the screen or on the screen, is that something that screen reader technology will do for you? Like, because I guess the way I'm thinking about it, if I start tabbing on my screen, it would just read everything that I, that I'm moving to. Is that how that works? Yeah, that is how it works. Although, um, often with screen readers, there are a bunch of other commands that we have access to as well, so that we can do things a bit more efficiently. Um, so for example, if I'm on a web page and I know that I'm looking for like a search box or something like that. Uh, so those are called edit boxes more generally. And so I could press E um, and have it take me to the next uh, edit box on the page. And so then I could just go around only to the edit boxes and find the one that I'm looking for while skipping over everything else that isn't relevant to what I'm currently doing. Um, and there are just a bunch of other commands like that that particularly work when you're navigating web pages. Um, and it just makes it a lot faster and more efficient than if we had to rely on tab for absolutely everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Does it read the input? Yeah. So like if you go to an edit box and you type in your name, well, how did it? Yeah. So when you're actually interacting mm -hmm. with a form field like an edit box, um, you would go into, it depends on what screen reader you're using, exactly what it's called. In JAWS, the screen reader that I primarily use, it's called forms mode. And so that allows you to actually, you know, type in text or otherwise interact with those um, form controls instead of having the commands that I was talking about that help you navigate around the web page work. So you kind of switch between modes so that pressing E means something different based on whether you're trying to navigate to the next edit box or trying to actually type something into the edit box. And then there are commands that you can use to read what you've already typed. Depending on your settings, you can actually also have what's called a typing echo. So it would potentially read out the letters as you're typing them or potentially the words as you're finishing them up. Um, I personally find that annoying, so I turn that off uh, because it actually, you know, I type fast enough that it actually is distracting instead of helpful. But um, but I know a lot of people use that functionality as well. It's a matter of personal taste. Yeah, I believe that is uh, useful. Back when I first started using a screen reader, I think it was like late 2017, early 2018, that's the first thing that I disabled. So I'm using NVDA uh, and Rebecca's using JAWS, uh, as she said, like NVDA is an open source uh, screen reader. And in some cases it has some advantages uh, when it comes to Salesforce um, compared to JAWS, for example, there are some things that you cannot simply do with JAWS, you have to use MVDA, but um, I, I, I digress. Basically the echo uh, function, uh, it can be useful if you do not know the layout of the keyboard. So when you're just learning your keyboard initially, uh, it can be useful, but you know, if you are familiar with where the keys are located, I think most people usually turn that off. And then there are uh, sound alerts uh, at least with MVDA, I'm pretty sure that JAWS has something similar, where if you make a typo, so a spelling mistake, as soon as you press space and like visually the squiggly lines appear uh, under the word, 
the screen reader will send like a buzzing uh, sound to alert you that <laughs> you made a typo in the previous word. So, is there like a special keyboard that you got that somebody could buy with shortcut keys, or is that something that you set up? It's like personal preference. It, I, I personally use a standard QWERTY uh, keyboard. Uh, so the shortcuts are, I don't know, like um, there, there really isn't anything like uh, custom about the keyboard. I think there are some uh, keyboards mm. meant for uh, may, maybe low vision users, people that still have some sight uh, left, but I don't know if there's anything for like fully blind uh, users that would make things easier. I've, I don't know, maybe I've never keyboards. heard of something like that. There are definitely some screen reader users who prefer to have, you know, like a full traditional keyboard that has a numpad, for example, because the original keyboard commands that they had for JAWS at the very least um, used the numpad. Um, but then when laptops started coming out without that included in the keyboard, they came up with something called laptop commands. Um, and you can use laptop commands regardless of what kind of keyboard you have. And I find them more efficient. So that's what I use pretty exclusively, whether I have the numpad or not. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it doesn't really matter one way or another. But there, I definitely think that there are, especially some older um, screen reader users who have a strong preference about that. Yeah, I'm scrolling on Amazon right now. It looks like they have keyboards, but it, the letters are just bigger. So that's not what I was thinking in my head. Um... Fair enough. Yep, that's more for low vision users. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So I mentioned flow, and then flows uh, a lot of what I do for my um, nine to five. I, I work a lot with flow. So I'm curious um, to get your guys' uh, thoughts and experience working with Flow Builder because, you know, in our previous conversations, we talked about the auto layout update that came out. Um, I think that was last year. Um, it, yeah. It seems, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you guys could talk about yeah. that and kind of some of the challenges before auto layout and afterwards, um, yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah. So I'll let Airtai yeah, take think... most of this question because he's our resident expert, but just the slightly older hand uh, background context is when I was first going through the Salesforce class in 2019, Flow Builder was completely inaccessible with a screen reader. Um, it was one of the few accessibility blockers that, like actual blockers, not just an inconvenience, but something that we couldn't get around um, that we were experiencing with Salesforce on the back end at that time. So what Airtie is about to describe for you is a pretty big revolution for us. Oh yeah, uh, back when I first uh, started, so, like I said, 2019, but flows were inaccessible until uh, the winter 22 release. So that's somewhere September, October of uh, 21. Uh, and I started working with Salesforce uh, beginning of uh, 2021. So it, it was really annoying <laughs> that I couldn't, you know, play with the tool. Basically, at that point, auto layout was, I believe, a thing. Uh, but it was still in uh, its early stages, or maybe it was just still in beta, but wasn't uh, like fully screen reader accessible. So uh, Salesforce, when you would create a new flow or open an existing flow, would default to the freeform mode, 
And when I would focus the canvas with my screen reader, um, I think it would just read some text of the element, but I couldn't interact with it. So I couldn't create connections with uh, the freeform mode, you know, to connect one element to uh, another. I, I, it was pretty much unusable. It was a blocker. And uh, I remember when we were going through the course uh, at uh, the BIT Academy, uh, my instructor um, had pretty much flagged that particular module as a blocker. And, you know, the recommendations were, unfortunately, you need to use sighted assistance to get this trailhead badge. Uh, otherwise, it's not doable with screen reader. So thankfully, that's not the case anymore. Uh, the Flow team did an amazing job, uh, you know, making the tool accessible. And with the Winter 22 release, um, it, I accidentally ended up uh, in a flow because of a client. Uh, and I'm like, okay, wh wh why is this working now? You know, I, I hadn't read the release notes back then. And I'm like, oh man, this, this, this is so cool. We can finally use this and not have to rely on uh, some cited colleagues that we had, you know, in the team back then. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that was, that was amazing. Is there a group at Salesforce that you guys are in contact, like BIT's in contact with that kind of discusses, um, these updates and, or kind of like a idea for the future type of thing for visually impaired individuals? Um, or is that kind of like, is, does it work like everything else with Salesforce? Like you can put in a, uh, you can like upvote, um, things. So you can submit tickets for accessibility bugs that you run into, but it is also the case that BIT is in direct contact with the Office of Accessibility. Um, we have someone that I would kind of describe as our patron at Salesforce uh, with the Office of Accessibility, Sarah Mark, who definitely deserves a major shout out for all of the support that she's provided BIT over the years. You guys, um, go ahead, Airtime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and like the Office of Accessibility has really helped in uh, pushing some of the more like uh, critical mm -hmm. bugs to the top of, you know, Salesforce's priority list. Like right now we are having a, uh, a new bug that popped up with Report Builder. Like Report Builder can't catch a break with screen reader users. Uh, every time something uh, gets fixed, something else gets broken. So uh, we've had uh, a bit of back and forth, you know, in the past couple of years regarding the report builder. But yeah, the, the Office of Accessibility has been super, super helpful mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, getting these uh, issues fixed ASAP because they do uh, impact quite a lot of uh, people at this point. Because it's, there have been a lot of new screen reader users that need to go to the backend to configure mm -hmm. stuff. Like Salesforce's frontend, I believe is completely accessible as long as like you're not using any custom uh, like components, like custom uh, lightning uh, web components that's built by third parties. Mm -hmm. That depends on how they have coded those, but Salesforce by default, like the front end, is fully accessible. 
the back end has some quirks here and there, but generally it's, uh, it's been pretty Yeah, it's good. mostly accessible. And they have definitely made a lot of progress at making it more accessible. I mean, Flow Builder is the big obvious win we've already been talking about. But um, some of the changes that they're making with more and more shifting over to being able to do dynamic forms, the uh, Lightning App Builder, instead of having to rely on Page Layout Editor, uh, like that is very helpful from a screen reader perspective, because while it is possible to use NVDA, which is the screen reader Airtie primarily uses, and uh, you know one that I kind of fall back on in situations where JAWS isn't as helpful, um, you can use NVDA to make Page Layout Editor work, but there's um, a lot of complications to it, and it can be a bit finicky, and there are some, you know, perfectly adept screen reader users who for whatever reason have just never been able to make it work and for other people it's very hit and miss so it's not as complete a blocker as flow builder was before it got uh fixed up but it definitely is not our favorite aspect of working on the back end and uh lightning app builder is much better so shifting as much of that functionality to lightning app builder as possible is um you know, a great step for accessibility as well. And you, you're talking about the page layout from setup or w when you do, when you can edit the record page um, from the gear icon or both. So the one from setup is the one that isn't great from an accessibility mm -hmm. standpoint. And the one that you access from the page, um, mm -hmm. that is the one that's a lot better. So yeah, the one that you access from the page is the Lightning mm -hmm. App Builder uh, one. So you're editing basically the Lightning record page. That one is accessible. Mm -hmm. Where uh, with the Lightning record page, you basically designate a slot where you want to drop a component, and then you can pick the component that you want to drop there. And then you have like the properties pane where you can customize it, right? But with the old like page layout editor, you cannot, let's say, select a position and then go back and select a field to drop that field in there. You have to use the mouse to drag and drop. And now with, as blind <laughs> users, you know, we can't really use the mouse because we can't see where the pointer is, right? So uh, there are simulated clicks that you can do, as Rebecca said, where you would focus the a field, you can, uh, execute like a shortcut key that simulates a mouse uh, drag, basically mouse click and hold. Uh, and then you need to find the position where you want to drop it, then move the mouse pointer with another shortcut and then drop it. But if for some reason you have uh, a weird resolution on your screen, uh, the initial uh, movement of your mouse, you know, before you started uh, cl like clicking and holding, it may have not landed in the you know, the bounding box where it catches the right field. So it can be a bit of mm -hmm. hit and miss until you actually can get something to move. So that's, that's very annoying. So something that takes a sighted person or even a low vision person uh, five seconds to do, can take five minutes for you to do with the screen reader. So really excited about the transition to using lightning record pages, yeah. uh, you know, to, to develop these. Uh, Even as an experienced screen reader user, I have not infrequently resorted to just asking a sighted person to drag and drop for a few seconds for me in order to do page layout stuff, because it is legitimately just so much more of a pain for me to do that um, than it is for them. 
And so it is extremely welcome to have an option that doesn't involve that. What, um, you know, we talked about kind of like more technical stuff and the tools you guys use. Um, want to get into mentorship a little bit. Do you, um, outside of, outside mm-hmm. of BIT, like, I guess, um, or do you guys belong to any, um, vision, vision impaired Salesforce specific groups? Like do those exist? I'm just trying to, if somebody is visually impaired and they're listening to the, the episode and they want to, you know, check it out, where would, where are some places they could go? There is a trailhead community meant for uh, admins with disabilities. Uh, I believe it's not uh, that active, but there are occasional posts uh, from admins that are, for example, stuck uh, with something accessibility related. Uh, Other than that, um, personally, I use the Salesforce subreddit uh, myself, but that's like, not uh, blind and visually impaired oriented. Mm-hmm. So the short answer is uh, no. Uh, at least myself, I do not belong to any uh, community that is like Salesforce uh, oriented and that's like focused simply on, you know, visually impaired or uh, blind. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, we already feel like we're in a pretty significant community mm-hmm. when it comes to that sort of thing, because we've got, you know, our coworkers and all of our apprentices and the academy students who are coming in and all of that sort of thing. So um, we probably are less motivated to go looking for that sort of thing than, you know, somebody who just coincidentally happened to come up as a Salesforce admin separately from BIT's program. Which reminds me, I believe, uh, like the Academy team also has uh, a Discord. Mm -hmm. At least there was a Discord community at one point uh, where both like uh, new students and old students were ending up in. Uh, I don't know now whether we have moved to Slack or whether that Discord uh, server is still active. I think we might have moved to Slack at Uh, this point since that's also what we use sort of internally for those sorts of communications. What's something um, people in the Salesforce community, I get, or just in general, what are are ways that we can contribute um, other than engaging with individuals like yourselves to find out, like, Cause I'm just thinking about like, if I was working with somebody who's visually impaired before talking to you guys, I wouldn't consider like page layout, drag and drop like that wouldn't cause you know, um, not around visually impaired, um, workers often. So I guess it's like more of like a two part question, I guess. As a, a fellow like Salesforce professional, what you could do to make things easier well, not just for blind and visually impaired people, but this in general applies to anyone else. Uh, for example, Flow is um, Flow is one place where, as a sighted person, you would generally look at the flowchart, right? And you can immediately get a quick idea as to what's going on there. So in most cases for sighted people, like depending on the complexity of the flow, of course, but you uh, you wouldn't need to populate all of those description fields for each element that you're creating, right? But for a blind and, well, a screen reader user, I'm going to put it that way, uh, 
I, I cannot see the entire flow at once, right? So just as soon as I open it, I can see it. I need to traverse the entire uh, flowchart element by element and get an idea as to what they are doing. So in most cases, following good naming conventions uh, really helps, like naming the elements a bit more descriptively as to what they are supposed to do. Um, uh, adding descriptions to explain what's going to happen. Like if it's a decision node, uh, the decision node uh, element itself has a description field, but the outcome, uh, the different outcomes do not have descriptions, right? So uh, like adding a couple of lines of what's going to happen in the outcomes in the decision element itself is usually a good thing. And it would like save a lot of time uh, for someone who is, let's say, traversing uh, your flow. Um, anything else that comes to your mind? Well, so first, just adding on to that, also having a high level description for the entire flow that just kind of goes over in general what the flow is meant to be doing kind of as a step-by-step -step thing so that it's like a, a summary. Um, like the more tools like that we have at our disposal, the quicker and easier going over the flow will be. And um, just to note, these might not be as necessary for sighted users, but they are still helpful for improving comprehension of the flow and making it just easier to figure out. Um, so as with many things at BIT, we like to say accessible design is good design. Um, and that's true here too. Uh, sighted people might not be as reliant on these sorts of techniques, but they are still helpful. So it's, it's just sort of good practice in general. Um, another thing that I kind of thought of uh, when you asked the question. Um, so a lot of people are extremely helpful in the Salesforce community and like to, you know, put up posts that help other admins figure out how to do things or, you know, learn particular skills. And um, we definitely appreciate that a lot, uh, especially working with apprentices as we do. But one thing that's always important to keep in mind if you want something like that to be accessible for screen reader users is alt text. If you've got things like screenshots on the page and you don't have what's in the screenshot thoroughly explained in the text of the article as well. Um, and I mean, even if you do, just having a nice uh, description, alt text description on the image that provides all of the context that we're missing by not being able to see it uh, is extremely helpful because we do sometimes get into articles like that and, you know, like we really appreciate that people have taken the time to write those articles, but sometimes there are some pretty big holes for us as screen reader users. Yeah, there were a couple of blogs that were flow related mostly where they would talk a bit about the flow and then they would show a screenshot of how they have configured the elements. Those are usually uh, inaccessible basically because you have no idea uh, what's shown uh, on the screen. If there's no alt text, you can use optical character like recognition uh, tools to parse any text that's detected on the screen but uh, that can be like hit and miss. Uh, it's, it's not the best. So one of my biggest uh, issues uh, with, with this particular thing is uh, when, you know, you, you know, we're all Salesforce uh, professionals here. So we've ended up in under Stack Exchange at some point, uh, reading uh, questions like answer. When the answer contains the actual formula, let's say, or piece of code that 
uh, you know, uh, the person is looking for, and it's an mm-hmm. image. Why isn't this text? <laughs> it's a screenshot of the actual formula. Like, was it faster to, you know, print screen, you know, cut, crop the image and paste it there, you know, put it there versus just copy pasting the text? Uh, but, you know, we, we end up with uh, having to deal with such things mm-hmm. at points, but it's not very frequently when that happens. But, oh man, it, it, it's very frustrating when yeah. it happens. Um, videos are another thing. Uh, a lot of people kind of talk through what they're doing in the videos and that's great. That's really helpful. But sometimes it's just like maybe a bit of light music in the background while someone's just doing something on a screen. And unfortunately for us, that latter format doesn't really convey any information. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, those those are very, very, very bad too. Like uh, there's an entire tutorial without any speech, just mm-hmm. music. Some good elevator and music. Like, and it's like, uh, I found the, yeah, I found the exact resource yeah. <laughs> that I needed in order to solve the problem that I was looking to solve. But I'm going to need to get a sighted person in here who knows what they're talking about to explain to me what's on the video. That's yeah. real. I mean, those are, I'm sitting here listening and it's like, I can imagine how I would react. Uh, you guys said like the code snippet, that's an image. I lose it. Um, I can mm-hmm. imagine how frustrating that would be. Um, yeah, those are great. Yeah, just to throw our hand in for other uh, types of disabilities, um, another thing that's great to have is captions on your videos so that uh, people who are deaf or hard of hearing have an easier time following what's going on. Uh, YouTube does have like auto-generated things, but again, much like with the optical character recognition, um, it's not always amazing, and hopefully AI tools will make that better in the future. But for now, having like actually properly submitted captions can be really helpful for that community. Oh, that, I mean, you bring up a good point because I don't, I don't do a transcript for any of my uh, audio files, so it should start doing that. Yeah, and plus, like there, there are people who are both. Uh, deaf and blind uh, and those people have to rely on transcripts so uh, you might think okay if they're uh, blind they'll use a screen reader right but now if they're deaf as well they cannot use the audio uh, output of the screen reader so what they uh, use is a braille display and the screen reading program uh, can uh, connect to a braille display. So just like um, when you're focusing something with the screen reader on the screen, just as it that like the text to speech engine reads it out to you, the braille display uh, parses the text in braille. So the deaf blind person can then read it. So the only way, for example, for those people to consume, let's say podcasts or any type of audio slash video material is by the transcripts themselves. They are super cool too. Um, Since I am a Braille user, I have a Braille display that I also use sometimes. And um, I I think it's like magnet technology that they use or something like that to be able to dynamically push up um, Braille dots so that they can create and then erase text essentially. Um, They're really cool. They're super expensive. (laughs) Um, So that's one of those like technology is amazing when you can get your hands on it sorts of things. Yeah, this is insane. Um, so it's a refreshable 
Braille display is an electro-mechanical device that displays Braille characters by electronically raising and lowering pins in Braille cells. That's nuts. Like, from a technology standpoint, that's like... And you're right, it says 800 to 8,000. Holy smokes. Yep. And in my (laughs) experience, it tends to be... It tends to be like 5,000 or so for a really decent Braille display. So, yeah, uh, it's like a, a pretty significant financial uh, yeah, those, uh, commitment. Those aren't getting passed out um, for free. I would imagine the company's not sitting on a hoard of Braille displays. Yeah, depending on your circumstances, you might be able to get them for free or at a very discounted price mm-hmm. by having them bought through like university services or at least have them rented out to you essentially through university services or um, DVR, which is basically like often state services that are to provide um, essentially like assistance getting job skills and getting work through the state um and so you can sometimes get equipment that you otherwise wouldn't be able to afford that way uh but it really depends on your circumstances like i as a full-time employed person would not be able to just like go to my state and get a free uh braille display at this point in my life so it uh it depends on where you're at (laughs) Yeah, like in, in uh, North Macedonia, and I believe this is the case uh, in some other European countries, uh, the state can, uh, if you have like a disabled uh, or employ- employee with a disability in your organization, the state can uh, give out like a grant uh, to buy equipment uh, to accommodate that person. So I, I believe uh that's the most common way that like people with disabilities get access to this kind of technology and i mean if you're talking about big companies like salesforce like multi-billion dollar companies you know it's 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 pennies for them you know just to you know grab like there's also something uh i forget what they call them they're like uh computer monitors uh do do you remember what they were called rebecca where uh it uh, the 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 actual components uh, are tactile basically. So when it renders the screen, it can raise certain areas and then lower others. So you can basically trace out, for example, uh, the top, let's say, of your window is like a rectangle, right? So you can feel basically the rectangle. You can feel the X, uh, which you know the X button to close the window, etc. Uh, there are displays like that as well. Yeah, technology can do some pretty amazing things. I can only imagine how expensive what you're describing is, given that, you know, the when we're talking about, like, these $5,000 Braille displays, that's probably, like, 32 Braille characters to the display. Um, so what Airtai is describing would be a lot more than that. Thank you guys for coming on the show. This I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I, I learned a lot. Um, I think a lot of the listeners are going to be kind of uh, opened up to different things that they weren't aware of before. I know I like, especially with the alt text, um, something I need to get better with the transcripts, uh, things that I w- wasn't considering. So um, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and sharing your experiences uh, so we can all get better um, and work together. So uh, I'm going to open it up to you guys. Um, 
I usually open up the last kind of couple minutes to you guys, to the guests, to um, plug anything you guys are working on or want to share with the listeners. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you guys for a couple minutes if there's anything you want to talk about. Um, well, in general, uh, we already talked about how uh, BIT has socials. We have uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're getting on Mastodon. Uh, so that would definitely be a place to just kind of check out what BIT is doing. We also have a newsletter that you can sign up for through the website, I believe, um, to get kind of like regular updates on, uh, you know, different things that we're doing as an organization. Um, let's see, do we have anything else to plug right now, Airtai? So, well, in general, like, uh, I assume most of your uh, listeners, Frank, wouldn't be blind or visually impaired, uh, but they might know mm. someone who is blind, visually impaired, or has another disability. So we are not exclusively focused on blind and uh, low vision uh, uh, people. So feel free to share a BIT with them, especially if they are looking to either switching uh, their career and do something tech related besides the Salesforce um, classes that we have at the BIT Academy. We also have certain workshops just uh, to prepare um, uh, the disabled community, you know, for, um, you know, just jobs in uh, general. So uh, how, how to create your resume, uh, you know, what, uh, what aspects mm -hmm. are important versus what aren't, um, how to be professional in email communication, stuff like that, which, can be super useful regardless of whether mm -hmm. you work in tech or not. And we also have um, a course for digital accessibility and this gets you certified um, as a, let's see what, what, what it's called, digital accessibility consultant, uh, where um, uh, we test out uh, websites or apps or like anything that's uh, digital, like documents, for example, whether they're accessible or not. Uh, so we do audits uh, as well uh, at BIT, but we also train the people who can do those audits. So if you are looking to switch to a career mm -hmm. like that, uh, yeah, definitely uh, check us out. So the website is blindit.org. So B-L-I-N-D-I-T.org. Thanks again, Rebecca and Airtai. Um, I would love to have you guys come on a little later uh, after this has been out for a while or to see if anything um, has come about it. I, I really hope people go to that website. Like you had said, Blind Institute of Technology is not just for visually impaired individuals. Um, you know, part of this part of the show is to share resources and kind of get the, get the word out. So I really hope people go visit that. Mm -hmm. um, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This was awesome.